Hello, welcome to Bristol Transform Podcast episode three. Yeah, is it episode three? It totally is episode three. Fuck yes. Uh, I'm here with. Did we, did we agree what your name is? I what? think we accepted that for the purposes of the podcast. We'll go with Trick. Go with Trick. So Isaac and Trick, Bristol Transform Podcast. We are here with John and Dee Dee from Kerner Transformed as part two of our. our Kerno Transform special. Hello, John and Didi. How's it going? Yeah, all good. You've immediately broken the cardinal rule of talking over each other. Oh. So, you know, you're dead to me. It's over. We're ending the podcast. <laughs> right, um, cheers, bye. Bye, bye. That's the end. Shortest podcast yet. No, so we are here to talk about what it was like to organise Kerno Transform, not just from the experience of just us being shit-faced in the corners, but actually... Yeah, yeah. We've done the participating in Kerno Transformed now we want to talk to the people who have a bit more knowledge of what went into putting on such an event. Yes. Like, what what brought you to having a, a an interesting arrangement of uh, people in a field celebrating life and socialism? Yeah, exactly. In well, Cornwall. In Cornwall. In Cornwall. Yeah. In Cornwall. Very much in Cornwall. <laughs> so, all right, well, so we'll start. Like, we did it in our, like, not our first episode, episode zero, as we called it. We did our, like... We kind of plotted our, our path lines. It turns out we're all basically recovering Trotskyists. Um, so we'll ask, we'll ask you the same thing. So, Dee Dee, what can you tell us your like political history? Uh, I'm American. <gasps> what? <laughs> so, <laughs> communism and socialism is like uh, the anti-gospel. Uh, <laughs> it's unheard of in the work of the devil for most Americans. Um, so I really didn't have any sort of leftist ideology until I moved to UK when I was really had my head in the books and just focused on um, uh, studying for my PhD until uh, John kind of converted me when he started becoming leftist as well um, and as a good wife I followed suit because <laughs> <laughs> like, I kind of feel like you converted me actually oh, <laughs> it was dialectical you know I'm like a recovering centrist dad you know I used, to, <laughs> I used to do like I used to do stand up and it was a really cringeworthy sort of centrist dad type stand up oh, in Brighton yes. luckily I've like deleted ev- all of the evidence from it, you know it's just like well, stand up we'll, is we'll dead to me yeah, no, I think, I mean, obviously Dee Dee's doing a PhD out in, um, and a field research out in Kenya in this refugee camp called Kakuma, and we basically met online dating, and after, like, two weeks moved in together, and then we were like, do you want to come to Kenya with me? And I was like, okay, and we got married, um, and went to one of the largest refugee camps in the world, and I think that was seeing... I'd like I'd like read about neoliberalism at like uni, but most of the time I was just wanting to get you know just get drunk and play guitar. Um, <laughs> That's yeah. how I ended up getting into socialism. Yeah, um, <laughs> the university and, experience. Yeah, and I think just seeing like the reality of it up there, especially like the way like the UN aid workers like behaved and that sort of just real contemptible attitude to sort of you know refugees like considering any sort of purchase of leisure if they bought like a soda was like a frivolous purchase that mm. they didn't deserve and that they were saying like the South Sudanese refugees weren't entrepreneurial enough. And they were like, they were seen as lazy um, and they didn't try hard enough because they'd been in this refugee camp for 30 years and it was they were seen very much with contempt and almost um, hatred that they were needing to be taken care of um, by Westerners who were living a very privileged lifestyle in this camp um, and it was just it was it was 
sickening to us and it was disgusting that we had to live in this environment where we saw so much suffering um people who were dying of simple things that could be cured like malaria and starvation and cholera which Mm. is ridiculous um and aid workers hiding behind like machine guns saying they're helping to save them um well at the same time not giving them anything at all it's behaving like poverty tourists i mean there's like in like part of the camp i think it's i'll get the numbers wrong but it was like Zone one of Kakuma, like region one, it's like 60, maybe like 30,000 people. Yeah. But there's a borehole, it's called borehole one. And for like 20 hours of the, I say for two hours of the day, it provides water for region one of zone one, which is like 20,000 people. The other two hours a day, it supplies water for region two, which is another like 20, 30,000 mm. people. The other 20 hours of the day, it supplies water for about 300 aid workers. Those motherfuckers. <laughs> and yeah. they've got, you go in their compound, they've got like hanging baskets. At one point they had a swimming pool there, but they were told what? to fill it in and just take <laughs> it, the piss. It was bad publicity. Yeah, but... it looked really bad. There was, you know, there was going to be riots and people would storm the, that's what, what was ridiculous is that for two weeks there, while we were there in the camp, because they have to transport the water in because it's in the middle of nowhere. Mm. In the desert. So um, for two weeks, there was no camp. Oh, there was no water for the 180,000 refugees in the middle of the desert. Ridiculous heat. And um, people were obviously dying. Um, But we went in the UN compound and they were watering grass and flower baskets. That's fucking... So, so basically, you guys came, like, face-to-face with, like, the fucking NGO industrial complex, right? Yeah, yeah. and they were pretty... Some of the way that they talked, it was very neo you know, We were talking about like, one of the issues is like the lack of um, refugees in the refugee system. And their attitude was like, oh, there's a load of people from like elite universities mm. around UK gone like Oxbridge or like ones in Germany. You can't get a UN job without going to Oxford or Cambridge. And, yeah, and they're on like ridiculously high salaries, tax free. And they were saying they can't be trusted. And just before we got there, the UN had to sack a load of its staff. Because and it was Western stuff, I think it was a German, a British, and an American, because they were taking bribery for resettlement. So they were the corrupt ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were saying you can't trust hiring the refugees in their own system. That's fascinating. That's a really um, interesting kind of route into politics, then, I guess. So, like, so from that, how did that kind of bring you to, like, organising? So you, you have this, like, revelation of, like, of the kind of... The scam, basically, that is is modern charity. I say this as a, a recovering charity worker. I, I think yeah. that I think that made us reflect a lot about our own lives and our own upbringing. Like John and I, even though he's British, I'm American. We had very similar upbringing, where our families pretty much struggled our entire lives, mm. um, struggling to find work, struggling to keep a roof over our head, and keep food on the table, and. But all of our parents are incredibly hardworking. It's not like they didn't try hard enough, but they're always on the edge of poverty. Um, well, the mums are. but yeah your dad works yeah my my dad I pretty much never saw my dad my entire childhood even though we had to move to a different state every single year because every like it was either that or he lost he would lose his job yeah finally we moved to California and he told his company that he wanted to stay there and they said that they would keep him on and then um, they fired him a year later because they asked him to move to a different state and he said that he promised his family that he wouldn't Um, and since then essentially he's been in in a precarious employment situation going from job to job and for a while he was like doing handyman work in his 50s and he got heat stroke because he was like working out in the sun it was too hot Mm. and he was just like doing hard labor just to provide for his family and 
and when he really shouldn't have at that point. Um, and John's family has been in very similar situations, trying to do their own, um, just whatever they could do, just to provide for their families. Well, my dad was a binman for a bit. I mean, he had a weird one. Cause Back was... when binmen were hard. No, no, not very much not. No, In the 60s, he actually had a little bit of, like, he was on, like, Top of the Pops and stuff, and he got a record deal and then blew it all. And then he met my mum. <laughs> so he had his little high life of, in, like, living out in Italy and, you know, just, you know, doing, you know, the, the, the rock star thing. And then... Yeah, by the time like, I was born, um, we'd, it was all gone, we were all broke, so, and then my mum became a teacher, but I guess... Um, and you were born in Cornwall, right? No, I was born, well, born in, I'll keep it quiet, I was born in Devon. <gasps> <gasps> Fucking hell. Oh, yeah. How'd you ate your scones? That's the most important thing. Jam first, it's jam first. No, no, I was, um, I was the last baby born in Peyton Hospital, and then they shut it down right after. But I think that was, um, like, the thing, when we came back from Kenya, we, we were living in Bryan, which is where we met, um, we moved back there, and... We just went through a year of hell dealing with the we, private rental sector. We, we couldn't find a place to live because neither one of us were working because we'd just gotten in the, in the country. Um, we finally found a place that was complete shit. Like, you had to, like, you couldn't really open the door in any of the place while actually having furniture. Um, <laughs> and the only way we could actually get a lease on this place is if we had both a guarantor and paid nine, nine months in advance, which we had, to, <clears throat> we had to negotiate down from 12 months. So John's mom had to take out all of this money on credit cards so that wow. we wouldn't be homeless. And then we had to pay her back. And then we had to pay her back. And it was like the most ridiculous situation. The entire time that we Mason were in this place. Yeah. The entire time we were in this place, um, our front wall was like black with mold. Um, <laughs> and our water boil kept on, um, the water heater kept on um, um, breaking. And they'd send the plumber in and they'd say like, oh yeah, this has to be your place. It's like 20 years too old essentially um and it eventually broke during christmas and we called our landlord and he was like we're on holiday leave us alone <laughs> fuck we didn't have hot water for like a week during christmas what and- a fucking dick <laughs> <laughs> so the thing with this landlord as well is like um they like came to paint over the mold one day they sent a painter in and Classic. he started telling me all about this landlord saying oh yeah he's not like your typical landlord he's really nice he built this like big mansion out in Bursley's Hill but he got round planning permission he showed me a photo of it and says he pays me to sit there and shoot squirrels for him like, he was basically describing like Mr Burns and he said oh he built this NHS building in Brighton but you know and he's like paid for it and he's getting rent from the NHS so he described this this horrible profiteering you know sort of slumlord and we like kept on complaining about repairs eventually got served section 21 um, at the same time I started working for a really exploitative care company that was you know, really dodgy in Brighton. And that's where I met the branch secretary of Acorn. And that's kind of how I got into it. So I got into Acorn stuff, but I'd had the consciousness shift. We finally started to realize that, like, the the lifestyle that we kind of were raised in, which our parents have basically told us our entire lives, that this is just the way life is. They they weren't activists in any sort of way. They didn't see a problem with their lifestyle. It was just how life is, and you just got to accept it. Um, And we've always had that mentality. It's just you struggle, and that's it. And... It was really, it was almost like our situation after we got back in Kenya was almost too much that it was just comical, but it was just like, it was, it was too much. So what about the third world exploitation then going cold over Christmas in a mouldy house radicalised you then? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, and I think that was it. So I got involved with Acorn. Then, like, you know, 
we, you know, Dee got pregnant, you know, and we like decided we'd move out of Brighton to, you know, so move back to the southwest because the housing was a lot cheaper at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and obviously the so say, oh, you get mellower when you get older and get more right wing. I've definitely gone the other way. There's like, you know, you have a kid and then you're just singing about the state of the world. It fills you with like a sort of burning fury to, you know. I think that's, I think we are like, we are an interesting point because like, quality of life is actually tangibly going down for people our age we're not all quite the same age yeah. but you know within our spread of age yeah yeah millennials uh, and, millennials you know, yeah, Z, ex- it? exactly right and that, that I think like it is very apparent I, I don't have kids but I've got a cat so you know it's yeah. more, more close to <laughs> that you've got dependents but, so. but I think you know it's, it's, it's very apparent that like our lives are not going to get better and like and, and like the lives of the next generation are not going to be like tangibly better than it it's not going to be easier for your your kids is it at, at least if it goes in the direction that it's currently going in yeah I, mean, I think that's definitely a shift that's occurred where previous generations like had that full mindset of, well we want like you know better for our kids and like obviously you had a generation for whom they're the first person in their family to have gone to university and it's that sort of feeling of progress and that's now gone like the sort of the future is not looking as bright for the next generation. No, our parents' <coughs> generation have kind of told us, like, we're the snowflake generation, where it's like, we... The way the reason why we're not achieving more, we're not achieving, like, an increasingly lavish lifestyle, can't afford houses, we can't afford basic rents <laughs> or to buy decent food or to provide for our children is because one we're not trying hard enough um even though we're better educated than our parents generation or mm-hmm. their parents but also it's just like we're we're wasteful which is ridiculous because it's we're probably more conscious about climate change than anyone else it's all those avocados <laughs> <laughs> so so you what when did you move back to cornwall uh, this was just before, we were planning to move um, just before the pandemic hit, so we'd already had someone look at the house. We um, kind of were halfway through the move when the pandemic hit, and that's when like we decided to go to my parents to have the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, Dee Dee went, in, our first moving van got requisitioned by the army because they were like requisitioning them at the moment when we were getting out of Brighton. I was in hysterical tears because I felt very isolated and alone because my family was not here and then COVID happened and we couldn't afford to live in Brighton because I was going on maternity pay. We didn't know if we were going to be able to afford rent. Our basement flat essentially was like twelve fifty a month for an income that we didn't have. The joys of Brighton. Yeah, yeah. and I was just like essentially like spending hours in the bathtub like holding like in a fetal position crying hysterically um not knowing what to do because there's no way in how we could have stayed in Brighton. yeah so we um we uh, a friend of mine called up like randomly in the middle of the night while he was you know you know a little bit intoxicated <laughs> just like randomly called me on zoom while i was watching tv and then he just told me what the rental prices were in cornwall which was like at the time and they've gone up now because of since covid or because something. because everyone's fleeing the cities isn't yeah it? but at the time it was very cheap and we actually negotiated our rent down because no one was like moving in at the time <laughs> covered yeah so we got this um house but like we got a sec we moved to my parents put everything in the garage Dee got ready to have a baby i was looking at booking a rental van and i booked one and i said look we'll have to just go that day hope you don't go into labor that night you went you're going to hate me. And it's just like, I've already loaded the moving van up. So I had to drive down to Cornwall by myself, like, you know, dodging a few speed cameras, like moved into the house, drive, drove back thinking like, oh, I'm going to miss the birth. But it was like, turned out to be like two, three days, wasn't it? Like, yeah. 
It's <laughs> not fine. like the movies. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely not. But. So, so, so you've you've only been in Congress since the pandemic. I assumed you'd been there longer. If I'm honest. April 2020. Yeah. And yeah. Fascinating. So my understanding is that Kona Transform came off the back of not Cornish Acorn. What, what are we calling it? Acorn Farm and Penrith. Yeah. Yes. Not annoyed, my my Cornish brethren, the no. Kneebone clan, will still be on site. Yeah. <laughs> so so you so you moved so you'd already joined Acorn in Brighton. Yeah. And had you been that? Had you, how involved had you, had you been involved? Or you I got I went on a member defence action. I went on a door knocking training. I went on an eviction resistance. So I was like a kind of background member. I didn't do any organising. I went along to stuff. Um, I did a little bit of door knocking for like the 2019 election just as basically order 66 happened you know like and that was the time <laughs> where basically everyone was getting you know disillusioned and i was on like the sort of getting more active stage so we moved down to cornwall and like obviously that we didn't start setting up an acorn group straight away but by like august we started like setting the acorn group up there like there was a couple of momentum activists involved a lot of people um because i think there was the um eviction resistance campaign so there was a couple of branches that got sort of set up off the back of that but generally the labor party people weren't keen on the activity of it and didn't really get it they just saw like oh renters union Mm. and me and dan who'd also been involved with acorn in swindon were the only two who were like no this is like actually really worth doing down here so as everyone just kind of left the ship after a couple of weeks it was me and him going like okay how can we actually make this be a thing down here? yeah yeah, so yeah in between being a stay-at-home parent we started um doing a lot of zoom meetings in the evening while doing nappies and doing like a fair few stalls and door knocking and just trying to get people involved and sort of explain put link together the sort of housing crisis the historic one that's been going on in cornwall for years and being like hang on here's the solution to it and it wasn't always the most like sort of favorable response because it was like this is something different i mean you've mm. seen some people on the panels who are people at... people didn't really understand until we actually had a real eviction as resistance um and the police there had never really encountered anything like that the bailiffs <laughs> um so it was a really weird experience um that i was kind of walking back and forth from with the baby um and um we probably had about 10 people there um, a little bit more than that, but yeah, yeah. And people That's were like, number, yeah, people were really excited to get involved, and they they actually could see what Acorn did, and it was like really ridiculous because it was the entire thing was live streamed by Cornwall Live, um, which is the main news source in Cornwall, mm-hmm. um, and the bailiffs were acting and the police were acting completely illegally because they didn't know what to do um <laughs> and they tried to physically assault the people who were um the acorn members who were have, standing on this line um and the police were aiding them they they um weren't helping i mean they didn't tell the bailiffs off for like physically assaulting the the acorn members and when the bailiffs finally left and the acorn members left the police actually called the bailiffs and told them to come back um we left a few there so basically all of the people who were on the school run we had like old people dogs babies all there for the initial sort of time and when the, they were coming for the possession order and i i was telling everyone i've been on one in brighton so where was this was in penryn this was in penryn and i'd been on one in brighton so i'm the only one who'd done an eviction resistance before and i said oh when we did it in worthing it was two guys came around with a clipboard and a tesla saw us and then left and that was it <laughs> and, and that's what i was telling him it's going to be yeah. like and then i'm on the phone to the national organizer ollie go like 
there's a lot of police vans turning up now. Yeah, there's there's loads of police. Before even the bailiff turned up, and then we had like the news live streaming it because they've not seen anything like this yeah. before. You know, so we're all like, get you know, and there's like Cornwall Live is like this Daily Mail owned news outlet. So there's horrible comments yeah. going down in the. We got Bristol Live, don't worry. Yeah. yeah. So we have that, but there's like this book that I read at uni called like um, the Violent Image by this guy called Neville Bowen. He talks about propaganda, the deed, and I think what was interesting about it was that that scene of the bailiffs illegally because they were county court bailiffs not high court bailiffs who aren't allowed to do physical intervention but they didn't know that yeah. they were too thick and they were just like me Eddie yeah. and, and just, no one had ever thought to resist them before like yeah. in that way right yeah. they and just didn't know this particularly yeah. um, aggressive cop who's got anger issues down in Falmouth he was like for a different reason I can't go into it but like a few months later, was in our house with a gun. <laughs> it was terrifying. Um, not because we'd done anything wrong. He'd come round to take a statement, but he just came in armed and he shouldn't have been. Um, and, that, that was just like, and he was like, I know you from somewhere. And I was just like, yeah, and I was like, time and the place, dude. No, not now. Um, um, but he was the one who told them to just go and try and break the line. Um, but it's like image. Sorry, just... you shouldn't laugh at his but they, they, but that <laughs> shouldn't laugh at his fashion. Yeah, we we'd gone from like two weeks before. Me and Dan had like you know we'd gone to the pub and said, I don't think people want to get involved with this. Should we just like call it quits? We'd been on this housing demo. And then we'd met, like, you know, Mike, the guy who's getting evicted. And I basically hastily knocked on every neighbour's door, quickly signed them up and was like, come along to this. Put anyone who was there who weren't even a member in a red shirt. Mm. But then after that... It was like wildfire. Yeah, just everyone joined. Everyone realised, like, the potential that Acorn could be and why it was valuable to pay your, what, £3 a month, if the like the lowest amount that you could pay, and actually be a member, helping people not get evicted. And We had a few pay the higher amount as well. Yeah. We? yeah, yeah. our neighbours, who are both university lecturers, who own two houses, yeah. uh, both pay like £50 a month or something. Yeah. When was this? Like, where, where are this we on was, the timeline? So this was, okay, so this was September last year. Okay. And this was the day, actually, because I had to briefly go away from that eviction resistance to chat to... Kia and Jeremy Gilbert because I was in that email thread around about um, a couple of months before after we'd like gone because it was so COVID was dying down we went over to America um, during that month because we would let Dawson meet her grandparents I was reading a lot of sort of acid left stuff you know getting really into Mark Fisher you know really digging into it mm. and started like listening to the ACFM podcast um, and a couple of years before, before I met Didi, I was told I went to this festival for democracy at Runnymede, and it was like a lot of sort of... Was that Plan C? No, it was oh. very broad left um, sort of crusties and like a few different things, but it was actually a really formal experience for a load of like Brighton anarchists. Yeah. It was a great like little party, it was beautiful on this site of where the Magna Carta was found, and <laughs> there was only about 100 people got to it, but like these relationships that formed, we had a lot of people there, people who were involved with Just Stop Oil now, who came back to the festival there yeah it kind of had such a sort of collective joy aspect of it when I started reading about that the whole thing of like collective joy mm. it really played on my mind so yeah. I, yeah. then Jeremy Gilbert went on Navarro was chatting to Ash about that sort of has the left forgotten to have fun and I just was like watching it I mean I'm gonna email him and say I've had this idea about a festival I'd know where the a site was and so I just emailed him and we'd arranged to chat on the day the eviction resistance was happening so I actually went home for a bit Chatted to German Kia saying, like, I've got this idea for a festival because I thought it'd be a good solidifying thing around there. Um, they started putting me in um, contact with people. 
headed back, and that's when the police decided to break through the lights. So it was a bit, bit of a chaotic day. The next thing I was curious about is how you go from, you know, that process of uh, radicalisation, getting involved in Acorn down in Brighton, moving back down to the West Country, and starting to try and establish it there, but then, like, getting to the point where you're like, you know what? I'm going to set up a festival that deals with radical politics, but also has, you know, music and dancing and stuff, and and bring about that sort of experience of collective joy that is really important to what we're trying to do here. There's something you have to know about John, is he has really big ideas. <laughs> he gets very inspired to do these massive things and gets other people to be inspired with them. Behind, you know, every great man there's, you know, taking the credit, there's an even greater woman doing all the work. <laughs> After about three or four months of seeing John, like, so stressed out of his mind, um, I was um, I finished a contract with work for a couple months um, and I was like, okay, I might as well, I have the time, I might as well step in and help relieve some of the pressure off of him because he's obviously in over his head. Yeah. I did have one week where I was told I wasn't allowed to talk to you and I had to speak to Dee We were telling everyone that and only about half of them did. Yeah. It was just like, I couldn't keep up with the messages on yeah. my phone. It was like ridiculous and I was just like, you know, like, Dawson started mimicking me, like, picking up the phone and walking around <laughs> with it. And I was like, you know, like, the way, like, kids start mirroring their dads. I was like, oh, God, this is it. And it was just, like, felt bad because I wanted to pay attention to it. And I've got this phone in hand. And I literally couldn't type messages fast enough to respond to them. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, like, a little woods behind where we are living. So I was just doing a lap of that, this reservoir, mm-hmm. like, sort of every day just to chill out. What was funny was the final, before we moved out, the final day I did a lap around that reservoir just to do my final walk. And I slipped and twisted my ankle <laughs> just a real pathetic sort of like you know like sort of the, the great finale. but I guess like, so like part of the reason that you ended up so like overstretched and like as, as someone who's organised Transform Festivals and, and has at times taken the slack in some ways and you know who needs sleep and you, you've got caffeine nicotine and a lot of caffeine and, yeah. a, and big ideas yeah but like you, you were working with a much more Diverse political coalition. Yeah. So, like, you know, like as like, like as we said in our in our first ever episode, we basically were all like, oh yeah, we're all ex Trotskyists, and like you know, I think there's now a couple of people who are like ex Green Party members who went via Labour through the Corbyn project, but mostly we yeah, were like, even though I think there does there there is a diversity of like socialist thought within the people yeah. around Bristol transformed. But generally, people's trajectory has been being involved in some sort of left project, usually Trotskyism of some flavour or another. Then all involved in Corbynism. And then, yeah, getting involved in Corbynism and then momentum, Bristol transformed. Yeah. And so we, we, yeah, we were working with people who are like, as much as we disagree on lots of things, and we do, and we've had, we've had you know, vicious arguments mostly... You know, now, now we, we all call ourselves Marxists, say, right? Yeah. I think that, that kind of... And that was the thing. Then we go, what is Marxism? And then we all fall out again. But, like, you know. <laughs> uh, but, like... And, and so, like, what, why do you... Why did you need to do that? Why why did you need to work with much broader... There was, there was just not really that much down there. I'd say, like, the... Mar- I mean, it's grown a little bit since doing this. We found a few more people. But, really, the Marxist contingent was, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not including Didi because you were just doing your own thing, you know, like putting food on the table and actually 
doing the proper stuff of making sure we can like live. <laughs> this is like my little side project. So it was like basically me, Dan, and Rob Burns. Now Rob Burns is like you know a seventy-two-year-old sort of you know Marxist-Leninist who's like this Palestinian communist who like grew up in Stoke. So he's like very good. He came on board. He did a lot of like stuff, but you no. Know, on the more sort of modern stuff like technical capacity, social media, mm. that's where he was lacking. But he did like bring in a lot of expertise and was really helpful. But he's also like a massive sort of psychedelic hippie. So he was nice. like, he's, he's got, he is like the original acid communist. Is <laughs> you know, you know, trades vinyl records, run, runs this art gallery, and at the same time he was doing like thirty odd civil rights cases for people like you know really you know difficult disabilities who've been treated awfully by like DWP and he's got like you know all of these cases going on so he's helping got Dan who's I'd say is kind of like Marxist Marxist Leninist somewhere in that area he's just so young though well he's, he's great but also we'd only just got Acorn yeah working. and he's the yeah. chair of Acorn now, and so right? he was yeah. the secretary of Acorn he, I was the secretary okay. we got to the end of the AGM I stepped aside, Dan stepped in as secretary, so we're like, right, we've got that running. Yeah. Now this is working, let's do another lap, let's add a <laughs> ring to the curriculum, let's let's get a transform group going down here as well. There so, are people on the left <clears throat> in Cornwall, they're just so disconnected because it's such a rural region. Yeah. I mean, compared to Bristol, they're not you're not all in a very concentrated area. They don't speak to each other. A lot of them do know each other and like but they're not people that actively communicate with each other. Um, and this was kind of an opportunity to start building those relationships um, and we did by the time the festival actually ended we had a solid group of maybe about 15 people who we identified ranging anywhere from like 18 year old university students to Rob who's like in his 70s yeah um, who all of these people were absolutely incredible they were all very committed to um, the festival and they want to continue it mm. um, and that is all you need like we, we've now limited our committee at like maximum of 16 people mm-hmm. and so 15 people is is the right amount of people, right? Yeah. Like, what what we don't we have so we've got leftists in Cornwall, but what you've got to understand as well is we're so cut off from the rest of like the national left. Yeah. All of this like infrastructure and resource, like the big bugbear is, you know, like Bristol being considered in the southwest region, but for nearly everyone in the southwest, it ain't in the fucking southwest. <laughs> it's the most northeast part uh, of the, the southwest. The capital of the southwest. You yeah, might as well like, be. You know. <laughs> yeah, you might as well be. And, it, and like the amount of times anything like infrastructure, like nationally, when they go yeah. like you, you call someone up and they go, "We've got an office in Bristol. Does that help?" And you're like, "That's cheers, mate. That's like a few fucking hour drive." No, away. no, we we drove to. You. It doesn't help. Yeah, no. Um, and what happens is that sort of. I mean, it makes sense for like left institutions, trade unions, political parties. You know, you're gonna invest infrastructure where you've got the more, most bang for your buck. Yeah. But it's led to this knock-on effect over like the last sort of fifty years of the whole area being ceded to like liberals and lib dems. Trade unions go, oh, we haven't really got much union activity over there, and there is like a massive demand. But there's very few people who are experienced in organising. Just even how you know, the first time I went to a meeting, I didn't realise what a pain in the ass I was because I'd be that person going, "Let's do this," having all these ideas, not realise listening to the group going like, "Well, they probably." thought about this before already and they probably you know if I sat in on a few meetings first yeah. and just kept quiet I'd work out what's already been done mm. then contribute but and this is one of the things when you're like hosting meetings and you're getting new people in every week you're going back to square one it's like two steps forward one step back um, and just sort of upskilling the left community in terms of organizing and I think that's what it was a really good thing because that's what we needed and it's it's not something that should be written off the southwest it's yeah. just there needs to be a prime mover in getting these communities organised and 
I don't think without some sort of investment, unless you have someone who's like doing a ridiculous amount of work themselves, they're not going to start themselves. There needs to be a little bit of just well, some sort of project to divert resources and then they can run themselves. It's also realizing that communities like in Cornwall or even Devon are not London or Bristol. You yeah. can't treat them the same. Not only are they more dispersed and they live in tiny villages compared to large cities, but they're culturally different as well. They don't act in, act in the same way that people from Bristol or London do, um, which for a lot of people in Cornwall, those Bristol and London are the same, they represent the same, um, I the guess. cosmopolitan elites, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, the, the bourgeoisie, um, the people who have marginalized them for generations, yeah. who have left them with essentially nothing, um, the people who are taking up these second homes and making them homeless. Those people who come in every now and then from the left and say, like, oh, we're on your side, we want to um, do right things for you, they don't, because they're not actually listening to listening to the local people they're not representing their voices and it's important that you actually listen to those cultural differences and because otherwise anything that any trade union or um, political party tries to do down there it, it's not going to work I think we spoke in the last episode about like the, the one of the things that sort of came up in one of the sessions at Kona Transform was this idea that like unions and labor and acorn were like English institutions and not for Cornwall and uh, you know which, which is obviously, I, I politically disagree with. You aren't describing the material conditions that make that a rational conclusion to come to, right? Like, you can't just have Acorn dumped in there. It has to be like, you know, to, to, be, a, to be a good mouse. Uh, acorn with Cornish characteristics, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, it has to take... Uh, no, I, think, I think, actually, John, you said in one of the sessions that, like, that the way Cornwall is structured is, like, one big city spread out across, like, a huge area that, like... The, you know the hospital is there that like there's the swimming thing. pools there yeah like, the police stations in another town like the airport in new key it's yeah yeah which, which which has which has to be taken into your strategy you can't just expect everyone to like rock up at one place or be able to access this one thing stuff like that that's super interesting yeah i mean i i think i argued against this initially with acorn a little bit more i'm coming around to i think it's a bit of half and half because i I think the density model that Acorn has, I do agree with. Yeah. I think it's harder to start. And so if you just yeah. expect it to start organically in small areas itself, it's a really difficult... I know they've, they've managed to do it with Aberystwyth, but that's because it's a university town. Yeah. yeah. Falmouth's a university A very political town. university town as well. Like a yeah. very specific one. Um, I, I think, like, this is the thing. I, like, sort of was trying to get sort of more people involved around Cornwall, and I did but they were all coming to join the Falmouth branch because they couldn't get a branch in their town yeah. off the going because they didn't have the organising experience. Mm. And this is the thing where we need to be identifying community members who could be potential organisers, but we have to develop in a way that they don't burn out too fast. And in a rural area, you burn out faster because you've got no support from comrades. Yeah, but then, but then I guess you also have the opposite thing of that you, you that like... In, in the kind of McAlevey kind of terminology, in, in smaller areas, it is easier to identify organic leaders because people actually fucking know each other in a way that, like, I don't know anyone who lives on my street in Bristol. I know a few of them. But, like, not many. Whereas, like, even when I go home, back back to, like, Panath, I do know people. And I, and I could actually point to the people who, like, if I needed to set up an acorn there, which I haven't, maybe I yeah. could. But, like, I would know, it would be easier to identify, oh, this person knows... Like fucking everyone who lives here, and I and 
Um, you disagree, did you? No, uh, I mean, yes, you can identify the, 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 the people who are active. The problem is there are so few people who are active that yeah. they're usually doing five or six they're roles. They're holding down six committee <laughs> positions. So they're way more likely to burn out, um, and they're not actually able to do as much as they would like to do. Yeah. Um, is that they? Yes, they are active, but they can't actually achieve anything because they don't have any community support um, because they're relied on as the one person who's doing all of these things and no one else is helping them. Where does the radicalism, in your opinion, like come from? Is it is it people kind of self-seeding? Is a terrible analogy, but are, is it people coming to these things on their own or is it people who have been in organisations, in Marxist organisations in other places coming to Cornwall or coming back to Cornwall? Eh? It's pretty diverse. So, yeah. like, um, Zoe Fox is really interesting because she was, like, um, you know, mayor of Campbell, although she recently deposed by sort of a political attack. Um, this is, in, and she was Mebby and Kerno. Mebby and Kerno, but she's, yeah. like, I'd say she's definitely of the left of Mebby and Kerno. Yeah. Um, her mayor position is unpaid. Yeah. Um, she's essentially a carer for her her father no no i think it's her ex-husband her ex-husband? she does and her mother she does like i don't want to i don't want to say like the wrong things just in case yeah, she, be... she does a lot of care work she does a lot of community work she like benefits follow... drop in yeah she does um as she she works with the, the eco park i believe um and she volunteers as the, the mayor of camborne and does a lot of advocacy and policy development for them also unite community she's the uh, yeah. chair of that yeah um, and the trade unions council yeah um, and so she's a good example of someone who's wearing six or seven hats right? yes <laughs> Um, and she was, I mean, she was probably one of the more active people with Kerna Transform, but she was completely burned out the whole time. And like, if we absolutely needed something, she would be there um, to help us. But also, it was so... She was our fundraising officer, but she didn't have time. So what she was able to do was point me in the direction of where to do the fundraising, but not actually able to do the fundraising itself. And this was like, and this was another thing with a lot of the capacity, because we were... A lot of, like, the people we brought in were from, like, sort of Kill the Bill Cornwall who were, like, younger art students. So our committee was really heavy on the arts working group, but nothing else. Yeah. And trying to do, like, was what I called you at one point, because I was trying to do programme working sessions. Mm -hmm. And I think, because we've got this demographic missing as well, because I noticed in, like, Brighton and Bristol, best sort of organising age, sort of, like, late 20s, early 30s, you've got that there, and that's missing in Cornwall. So you've got the very early 20s. So depending on, like... How developed they are. So, like, Dan's, you know, very mature for his age, and mm. he's like, he's there and he's ready. Jay. But yeah, Jay as well, you know. Um, but there are a few people who've still got, like, a little bit of work to get to, and, you know, they you know they kind of gravitate around shiny things, and then they, they change what they're into every week. Yeah, they're fucking 18 or 19. I was, yeah. I was a terrible Trotskyist when I was, like, 19, yeah. 20. I was much more interested in spending my time. What, what do we say on the podcast? You know, drinking energy drinks late at night, shall we say? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Engaging in merriment. Engaging in, in merriment. Yeah. That I was being a being a, even though I called myself a revolutionary darling, you know. And I, you could get me to sell a paper once a month. But that was about, about the extent of what I was. Yeah, and there's do. a lot of that. Yeah. And then and then you've got sort of older activists who have you know, depending. I found like really like. What I found though was like the older women are like far better like, from my experience. Other than Rob, like Rob's, like Rob Burns is great. He's yeah. superhuman. Though. Yeah, <laughs> um, then like you got like a, you get a lot of these like demos in Cornwall where it's just old shouty men who don't listen to the women, 
and we had a few I'm not going to name names but there was a few of them who were demanding to be on panels at the festival and they were real like <laughs> old misogynists just like Sorry. I'm going to come here and tell you how it is yeah. like every demo and we really didn't want that because there is a bit of a problem with some misogyny and domestic well like when I met her with Zoe once and I said look she's you know Camborne's one of the you know highest poverty rates in Britain and I said like what's the main issues around here and she looked at me point blank and said domestic violence mm. and this is like a huge issue in Cornwall so I've we didn't get to do as much sort of feminism stuff as we wanted yeah. because one of the things we really wanted it, but then we had lack of internal capacity of people yeah. who could actually facilitate that as well. Rape mm. is also a massive issue in Cornwall. It's just it's a continuous cycle of um, gender-based violence against women and women not being listened to by men. And that leads them to being inactive in politics. Mm. And the women who are active in politics, it's they a- have to be very assertive and um almost like they're they're pushed down because they're seen as um pushy angry women mm. like most women politicians um and it's the 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 ones who do make it to the point that they're actually achieving something and doing something it's um because they're absolutely incredible yeah um and they are they genuinely do care about the cause um yeah i mean like jen was like really good. i mean joni's good i mean there's, there's some great like women down there, like Journey Institute of Cornish Studies, but then that's full-time academia, that's limited capacity. You've got mm. Jen, who's, like, working with, like, the CW doing trade union education, and, like... Jen, the parliamentary candidate. Yeah, yeah, yeah single but parent. She's also a single parent of two small children. Mm-hmm. Um, and Zoe had... Was take, I was had caring responsibilities. Um, it was pretty much John was the main person doing the the primary point of contact for the festival because he me and Rob and you yeah well it was primarily John because he didn't have a job because I was financially supporting him and we could let our toddler watch TV all day while you were making podcasts. Yeah, I put on a lot of In the Night Garden and I did a lot of like, you know, one hand on the phone calling people while the other hand pushing the swings. It was like, that was like my main sort of position all day. No, that is interesting. Because it's one of the things that we've always found with organising is that like, we know women speakers are much more likely to drop out than men. And I think that's partly because the men can have, have the space to just sack off whatever they should be doing and turn up to have their ego stroked by an audience. And, so, and, and you know, we, we almost have to, like, programme around it. We have to, like, if we want to have a gender-balanced panel, we need to have booked more women than men because probably by the end that won't be the case. Yeah, same. And, yeah, and, I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and yeah, I can tell it's, 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 it's sort of a fascinating thing. It, it, you know, it's, it's these things that organising sort of reveals to you. You suddenly go, oh, no, these actual... These, this sounds fucking stupid. You know, the structural issues go all the way down. Oh yeah, cool. This, like, yes, this is how this, these things kind of manifest in different ways, and that is super interesting. And like, even just like we had stuff with like that, like people who worked in journalism, like we'd have women being like, no, I don't want to get like fired for talking at a like socialist festival. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I'm a freelancer for the Guardian, and I don't want to get in trouble. Whereas men would be like, they won't fire me. Don't worry about that. Um, and it, it's kind of fascinating how these things kind of manifest. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think. One of the things was what we struggled because we had like we're doing it on such a shoestring budget, yeah. and I think often like a lot of the women needed to be financially compensated for it as well because of what was going on in their lives. So it's yeah. like it was easier to get men to do it for free mm. for one of the things. So if like we you know we were doing it again, we'd, we'd need to like sort of reserve a sort of extra sort of chunk of the bu- budget, I think, to draw in more women speakers, and I, I think that's probably rightly so. And the other um, 
thing was though when we were making more space women speakers there were like a lot of older sort of boomer men who are the usual guys who go to the demos who were very like the sound of their own voice and demanding to be like that and they, they really didn't like when we told them said hang on we'll get back to you later you possibly could do this panel but we want to m- keep it free for a woman first yeah. was, they really got angry and quite sort of irate about that there the, was a couple there was a man um, don't say his name. <laughs> there was a man who was using his PhD title um, to get on the climate panel um, and we've <laughs> never heard of him he's never published anything but he was very adamant that he was an expert in the fields of something climate related and we were very apologetic we were just like we want to leave the um the two extra spaces that we have well, only one was filled <laughs> um but um we wanted to leave it for um women and minority voices because we already had two white men on it yeah. and um he was using his phd title to bully john essentially <laughs> um so he asked me to write an email that we wrote together saying i'm sorry dr so and so we would love to have you on you can run a workshop if you want which he wasn't interested in <laughs> um but <laughs> We want these extra spaces for women or minorities. Um, and he was like, dear Dr. Patterson, um, I, I don't know what you're talking about. About John was very excited about me talking. Why are you standing <laughs> in the way of this beautiful friendship that we're having? And by the way... You've ruined guys being dudes, CD. By the way, if you want to represent minority voices, why don't you start with spelling your Irish name correctly? <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, thank you for mansplaining what's on my birth certificate. Yeah. That was like the amazing. Oh, and yeah, and there, was a, there was a few of those. We we had like a board in our kitchen, which was like, what we said was like, the amount of days since passive aggressive assault. And it was it didn't get past zero. Oh, it was, I think it got to one. Once. It got to one. I mean, there was also like the issue with like the sodding Lib Dems in Cornwall, we were just toxic. Then the Liberals as well. It's like so the Lib Dems were like your line, right? You you were very open. You like you had the Greens, you had Labour, you had maybe on Kerno. Uh, you, they, you, there was like Communist Party there, was Socialist Party there, but like I remember you even said on a panel, no Lib Dems. Yeah, yeah, good rule. They're they're, 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 they're Tories. They're basically Tories. So we yeah. did try to invite Black Voices Cornwall because we wanted actual more ethnic minorities. I think they're, there's some in there that are a little bit okay. sort of centrist. Yeah, they're, they're more centrist. Yeah. Um, but we, and I think we had the same not... with Queer Kerno as well, really. Because they, they have, like, the Lib Dems at the Cornwall Pride. They were the only party to have a stall Yeah. Lib Dems. Interesting. Yeah, so we were trying to represent more minority voices in Cornwall. And yeah. so Queer Kerno and Black Voices Cornwall were the two organisations that were the most... Uh, the, the biggest, um, the yep. most prominent. Um, but it was very obvious they had more centrist ideology. But we felt it important that we wanted to represent what they stood for. Um, Black Voices Cornwall were not interested. Um, we actually lost a couple of people for inviting them because they were very angry about it. Yeah, so people cancelers and quit because we even <laughs> suggested that. Yeah, because so. uh, apparently they supported the police. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> ironically. Um, and then Queer Kerner was actually supposed to come, um, the, the leader of it. Um, she sounded very nice, and I um, she was trying to... Um, reorganize museum exhibits throughout Cornwall to make sure that LGBTQ community were more represented um, in the exhibitions. Um, and she sounded absolutely amazing. And then she dropped out the day before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Always the way. I mean, I'll say, like, something about, like, Pride in Southwest. I know, um, like, Lillian, who's recently been elected to the um, Momentum NCG. Which we can talk about now it's over. Yeah. Just about. 
I went and like met her, um, and she's really cool. And she was telling me about the Pride in Tynmouth, where the local uh, Newton Abbott Pride, and they allowed the police to go in the march, but they didn't want Unison because they thought they were a bit controversial. A bit too political. That is it. <laughs> and like Unison is like the least like sort oh, of amazing. edgy of the unions, but that was like you you know the whole history of lesbians and gays, support the miners, all of that. They were like no, and I think that's the thing with the. Um, this kind of and going back to like the festival where we we're making it as inclusive as possible, but this is why we have to do like a very broad left, but like not compromise the politics. And I think there was people who there's a lot of this that kind of happens there where they go, well, maybe we shouldn't say anything too nasty about you know landlords and bosses and you know mm. maybe, well, let's not challenge the status quo too much, you know. And and you get that with certain people who are like say they're Corbyn supporters or in the Labour party. Oh yeah, like, well, we're like yeah, we like Corbyn, but you know obviously you know we don't want to change the status quo too much. We don't want to like have too much like redistribution of wealth. You know, mm. I still want to have my three holidays a year and you know like have my second home. I, I mean, I'm, when I went to CLP meetings and like during Falmouth, there was um like a certain fairly nasty councillor who um was a legal councillor who's in, in I think she was involved with Cornwall anti-Semitism Watch or something like that. But, um, but she was um, saying when there's someone said, yeah, we should have a cap on second homes. He was the first one to be like, actually, I'm entirely reliant on second homes for my income. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, get a job then. Or, you know, yeah, like, we, we, we had Bristol West being some of my best friends are landlords and they're, they're really lovely. Isn't they? Yeah. Like, you're great. Know. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, great. You know, there, there are like, you know, literally like millennials trying to feed their kids while you're driving your Range Rover around with, you know, I love. You know, it's... um. Yeah, so there is like a lot of that, and yeah, and I had to. That's kind of why I had to sort of really draw the line. And I think like sending that no lib Dems was like a really, they, you know, they want to say that they're included in the left, but they ain't mm. in in no material way. You know that it's this sort of like yeah. you know virtue signalling of inclusivity, but not doing anything to fundamentally change the system. And you know, as an recovering centrist, um, you know, I can I, I, I just see through the bullshit. Yeah, you know, well, they're, they're, really. they're the epitome of, like, culturally, like, culturally liberal, fucking economically conservative, right? Like, yeah. the, even yeah. the, the, the kind of thing that goes around Twitter with the woman being like, oh, yes, we did, like, like cut benefits, but we did get that 5p charge on plastic bags. Who yeah. Who if it's good or bad? No, yeah. it's yeah. the, it's the, it's the, I mean, the yellow's the, the perfect colour because, and I know this from, like, you know, it just comes from a certain moral cowardice where, um, you know, as someone who spent like 10 years of, you know, playing guitar and sitting in my room, just rolling up merriment, you know, <laughs> uh, there's a certain sort of comfort. And like, if you're not having your comfort challenge, yeah. you can you can hide behind that. Yeah. And you can Absolutely. hide behind that being like, oh, actually, I don't want to challenge this because I'm all right, Jack. And yeah, that's it's, that. why, it's why hippies can be so reactionary, right? Yeah. When, when they're like, oh, yeah, man, we need to like, change consciousness. And you go, well, should we change the material conditions that cause consciousness? <laughs> It's, it's why I like the idea of acid communism, right? Yeah. Someone, someone yeah. who comes from a kind of, somewhat of a hippie scene. And then you go, well, what does consciousness raising mean? It means yeah. partly like giving people the, but we need to change the material. And then people go, well, you don't want to fucking do that, man. What are you doing? Yeah. And, like, and it's, yeah, it is. It's that, that kind of like comfort in like kind of hedonism and fucking softness that, like, yeah, that means you're, you're useless. It's, you know, like, I mean, uh, I saw a meme the other day, and I know that this is not fair to, like, the, you know, 
a lot of anarchists, but there was this one <laughs> I saw said anarchists are just edgy liberals changed my mind. <laughs> and I think you do get this like there's a strain of it in Cornwall of these anarcho centrists. The, the fuck is. you dad wing of liberalism. Man. Yeah, like there is like <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of anarcho centrists around there and this sort of very hardcore sort of centrist realism which is like, you know, I don't want any kind of authority but I don't fundamentally want to like do anything that sort of really ch- helps those who need it the most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's this sort of like charity before reform. Like, here, have the table scraps so I so I can feel, look look good and be, you know, sort of, it was like the same with the UN workers who were poverty tourists. Yeah. Really, yeah. Who just wanted to, it was more about what makes them feel good, even in helping someone. Yeah. It wasn't about what's effective. It's like, I want to feel good and look like I'm helping. Yeah, it's, it's very aesthetic in, in its choices. There's, I mean, J.B. Priestley and, like, Inspector Calls, like, I always like liked using this term, where it was, like, Mrs. Burling mm. on the charity board. So, like, I love calling them Burlings. I wish, if there's anything you can get popularised as a, a, a no, friend, call it Spurlings. Because that does, those, those that, that, I've literally not thought of it since I did my GCSEs, but you're right, in that those those characters are exactly that. There's people who go, oh, yes, everything's really bad. And they go, and what are you going to do about it? Nothing. Yeah. Right? Nothing. Yeah. I'll, I'll just... Well, that's the thing. There's a, a lot. So many people believe there is nothing we can do about yeah. it. So why even bother? There's, like, um, they're comfortable. While we're doing our beefs, I think we're almost out of tequila. But we should have one more tequila, and then I want to talk about. <laughs> just probably careful, a bit I don't of things get, like, we should talk. Stuff. Yeah. What, what are you saying, Jake? Sorry. Well, no, I was just going to say that, like, like we're basically an hour. Um, like we haven't really got to the festival. <laughs> <laughs> Coffee so, tequilas while we'll have a chat and we'll, we'll see what comes out of it. I mean, if we're gonna beep over, then we can talk about. Um, he's got money, and he, and he, if I say something wrong, you know, libel laws and all this stuff, you know, I don't want to. Oh, yeah, no, no, it. absolutely. We don't want you to have like some sort of uh, weird tech gremlin right winger on your ass. Yeah, 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 we, yeah. we already had him like um, in his, his ilk on our ass for like two months. And so, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely. Happening. Okay, so, so do you want to you talk about. Actually, organising the festival, like I, I think you're right, and that there's there's, <laughs> there's something. Like, we, no, but I think we, we've, we've spoken around it, and I think like the actual groundwork that you did was the Acon stuff, right? But what what do you think then was the unique challenges of organising a rural transform festival? I think that is the key question. That's what we said we were going to talk to you about. We've managed to talk about literally everything except for that. But I'm, I think it was probably finding the people that were interested in actually getting involved is one, finding the people that didn't know they would be interested, mm-hmm. um, finding the people who were interested but weren't actually committed to actually doing anything. They just liked the idea of it. And then finding the real activists who'd been doing this for a really long time and actually knew their shit. Um, and finding all of these people, getting them to get together like once a month. It was, we did. We were doing meetings weekly after Jack came down and saw us and told us a little bit of the TWT spiel. He said he shouldn't meet weekly, and then we had that lovely weekend where Amar, Lucy, and Barney came down and sort of cooked and cleaned for us because <laughs> they saw how tired we were. <laughs> it was really nice. They came and they sort of gave us a few pointers. You know, like that's when Lucy said, "I think Didi should be volunteer coordinator." Like to me, like, yeah. like you weren't really that involved at that point, and it was just like, no, seriously, you'll be like, Didi, you'll be. Good at it. That was the thing I regret the most. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but yeah, it was finding all of these people, uh, getting them to actually, who a lot of them didn't even really know each other. Um, some of them knew some, but the, the, as a group as a whole, we didn't really know each other. Um, a lot of them were university students, so they'd only been in town for a couple years. Um, some of them were like anarchists and they were like um, living in a squat and they were trying to get involved in community stuff, but also... Yeah, there was there's like capacity issues and I think, you know, like maturity issues as well. Um, you know, some like, and, you know, there's, there's some that are like, you know, years but beyond their sort of age in terms of maturity, like Dan, Theo, you know, where, you, you know, you know, they really like sort of shone on the, on the day. And that, they're you know. absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, there were, yeah, quite a few young people, I, I'd say at least like three or four young people who were like in their early 20s who just blew us away Mm. um and they've never really done anything like this before and it was absolutely incredible just seeing like almost like mentoring them into doing something really really cool and then kind of like stepping away and seeing like seeing it all come together and then like being in a leadership role it was really beautiful it's it's really satisfying seeing how well the um found from penry and acorn is now that i'm not involved with it it's kind of like my little baby that is and I can just sit there and I can watch them and every time they upload a video because I was on basically I was on that social media account for like nearly a year just going around with like homemade banners into like random towns and just making it look like you know putting stalls out and looking like we were we, we were more than two people <laughs> and you know posting every day sharing posts and, that, and now I can see it actually running like what would be an acorn branch like in Brighton or Bristol yeah. <clears throat> they did a march on the um, landlord the other day and you can see them doing it all great and it's great if you can find it on Instagram because there's some sort of the, the letting agent had some trap music in the background <laughs> so it's like sounds like they're almost rapping when they're reading the demands <laughs> but, Listen, uh, if we find out we'll link to it yeah we yeah. will put it, put it in the show notes yeah um, but no no it's great and I think that's the thing you can see like stuff that's happening with the trade because the trades council was about to like die as well and that seems to be getting going like the bakers union is starting to take some interest in there again something i mean they get i think they're getting unionized about 900 members at a plan mm. in callington now and these are all separate things that have happened that john has kind of had his finger in all of it um, little finger. <laughs> <laughs> um trying to help it move along a little bit and our I think what Kernel Transform was that we hope it will actually become genuinely in the future is almost like a catalyst for all these different organizations all around Cornwall to actually come to when they need resources or they need community support or just bodies to actually get more involved. Um, so one of John's proudest moments during um, the, the like the during. Uh, organizing the festival he came home with the PA system like a little travel one and he's like this is ours We're, like, everyone's gonna come to us because we have a PA and no one has the one demos. Um, so that is how it works that yeah, absolutely yeah. <laughs> got infrastructure his master plan is like whenever someone wants to organize a demo in Cornwall which happens quite a bit mm-hmm. is when they need a PA they're gonna come to Colonel Transform yeah. and they're gonna ask for their help and they're gonna ask for bodies and support um and, and no Lib Dems. They're just going <laughs> to be the center point for these leftist community organizations all around the county. And I think it actually has the Dutchy. capacity. Um, yeah, Dutchy. Um, but it actually has the potential <laughs> to do this. Not England. Not England. No, but I, I, no, I think that's right. I, I think, like, because you, there are these, like, skills and just actual things you have to, like, accrue over time of doing these events. 
and it does mean like like we we had one that was transformed had recently which was um it was like a solidarity protest in castle park uh in solidarity with like women in america because of the abortion ban right or the the not ban but um i've had too much tequila the the the, <laughs> the, the, the rolling the ban of of Roe v. Roe v. Yeah, yeah yeah um and like and it, it was it like someone came to us and like they were like really young and they wanted to organize this thing and they knew that we had the stuff that they needed and we were able to lend it to them and get it to them and get it back and it and that does it, it that like kind of being able to support the wider left ecosystem i think is really important and really like positive and and also means you don't have to fucking do everything yes um <laughs> i think that's the great thing about transformed events and why i think it's a model the left really should be looking at um emulating is if you're if you like trying to sort of seed the ground for like something that grows that's mm -hmm. one of the best things you can plant there because there's sort of afterwards the the links that people have made after that i mean for like us it was like hell planning it but then the the you know, there was the lovely moment afterwards when people were, the feedback was good. And then even the people who were like the naysayers were then coming in going like, kind of wish I went to that. Yeah. Kind of wish I hadn't sort of shit talked yeah. to that for like the last few months. <laughs> what, made me, like... what made me so proud, I didn't actually get to enjoy any of it. I was either um, taking away rubbish bags or I was like getting things and fetching people and telling other people to fetch people. Oh yeah, you never um, have fun at your own personal no. <laughs> um, A little bit of fun by the fire pit. But, <laughs> thing but, about Termi is. <laughs> but what I did see was throughout the whole festival, um, I knew who was there and people who had come from all over the country to be there and they had made friendships with people they've never met before and like these little bonds that people made it was almost like quite a few of them were like they were inseparable there was like people were pairing off but not like in a sexual way but in a friendship way and the, <laughs> during the entire we always tell Bristol Transformers a place for banging <laughs> During the whole festival, these little pairs were like completely inseparable, um, and it was just like so sweet to see. Mm, um, yeah. And I know that these are going to be friendships. That uh, Vienne are... and Emily was like nice one to see. Yeah, something. and then Christina and um, uh, Vienne's friend Anna, yeah, yeah. Um, and and it was just like so many of these people met so many cool people that they <laughs> just instantly connected with. Um, and it's like it it was like their worlds had exploded especially for young people who they never really they they get the ideology but they've never really been involved in it yeah they understand why it's important but they never really thought about activism um and making these relationships and getting involved with people who are excited about this and they are doing something it was so cool to see them just forming and inspiring them to actually do something it's it's all about facilitating though that's the thing and that's the most important i think like that was the thing that i mean there was a lot of sort of managing factions expectations because basically yeah. each group faction to some degree was upset that they didn't get it enough their way yeah and it's weird because i mean other than being like a sort of diehard mark fisher fan you know <laughs> that was my my biases on it um i was fairly like sort of dogmatic about trying to balance it even more so than in terms of po politics that I agreed with mm -hmm. so I, as long as I could generally see that they were like 
part of the left in Cornwall, like yeah. the actual left, even if I didn't necessarily share their politics, I thought they needed to be included. You yeah. Know? So you've got like the Socialist Party and maybe in Kerner there, they really don't get on. Yeah. And, um, you know, having to like make space for like those two where they respect each other. And the same with Greens as well, you know, like, Tom, I mean, to be fair, like Tom Scott, he got like shouted at a bit. And I, th- I think that was a bit unfair because he's, he's in the left of the Green Party. Is he the one who looks exactly like Rick Stein? He looks, he looks a little bit. <laughs> yeah, a, I got caught pointing at a picture of Rick Stein and pointing at him and oh, laughing while he was talking and we made direct eye contact and I oh, felt a bit guilty about it. I was, yeah, I apologise <laughs> too. He's the like branch secretary of the UCU for Falmouth. Oh, well, now I'm going to be in professional travel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and one of the reasons why I put them on the panel together because I really didn't want this combative sort of point scoring. I wanted... The left is in a weak position in Cornwall, so I didn't want basically three parties to be like, well, you, you, you. And that was the thing, there was a nice chemistry because I knew that Tom, Zoe and Jen all got on and they all yeah. kind of respected each other even though they were on you know, different vehicles within the left. Yeah. So it was going to be a fairly honest, conscious raising thing of like, well, actually, where are we? And not this sort of, you know fighting over something that doesn't exist. They're yeah. all kind of like, and they, but one of their things on the, if it happens, it doesn't look like it is going to happen. Combine more mayoral thing. They said independent is probably the best way to go <laughs> about it. And we, that was an interesting way to look at it. We tried really hard to uh, represent anyone who wanted to be represented, um, but also avoid the pettiness. And that mm. was quite difficult. Um, we had to pick the right people. And the one person that I recruited was the wrong person. Um, <laughs> oh, the climate It is about, it's a, like, because there's people who want to be represented and there's people who have actual constituencies that they represent. Yeah. And those are slightly different things. No, actually, not even slightly. There was a very different thing. Yeah. Like, like you can have mad politics, but if you have, like, hundreds of people who agree with you, like, that there's, there's something worth engaging with there. But, like, people who are just like, I'm owed this because I'm the, the one member of this one national law, but no one else is a member with me. It's like, it's, those, yeah, those are very different things, right? You're not yeah. that important. No. Yeah. And there was a couple of them... There. Well, one of them was like, you know, it was interested in the XR guy. Where, uh, you know, I mean, if there'd ever been some communication, I might have even put him on the panel. But then I could see like a certain political party chomping at the bits, being like, well, if it's a free fall on the panels, we're jumping on. And I was like, you can't. Yeah. Oh, but we we had that like the very first session of the most recent Bristol Transformed. I was like, there, tired, just starting. This this person turns up and like, I'm here to talk about the poll tax. I was like, no, like it just so happened that like the panel she turned up to was the one that I booked. I was like, no, you're, you're not. Was like, who are I, you? Yeah, I booked and he's like, oh, well, this guy told me to come. I was like, well, I, I know who that guy is, but like, I didn't invite him either. And like, and she's and she, no, but like, let me talk about the poll tax. I was like, and basically, I think it was because it had been called like the, it, the panel had even changed. So like, what she was pitching for was kind of what it might have been a few weeks ago, but we changed the panel since then. And that was about like something else. And I was like, no, like, and she's like, well, you're just not going to let me in. I was like, no, like I, we we spent a lot of time, but being very anal about this programming and exactly yeah. how it was going to work. It's like, and no, you can't just rock up and demand fifteen minutes to shout about the poll tax to yeah. a bunch of people who are quite hungover because we got them too drunk the day before and and not in yet. <laughs> I don't think like, a lot of people understand the like the the amount of work that goes yeah. into programming it. It's like it was all that was on my brain, like for like, and that's what I think. 
program coordinator is probably like other than overall coordinator, a volunteer coordinator. There's like three that you should they should be very much distinct people. Overall yeah. program coordinator and volunteer coordinator. Certain ones can double up. Those can't because of you the, need a tripartisan system. Well, that's the thing because because of the mental capacity. Like programming, you just think you know, it's like this sort of logic puzzle that is a combination of trying to fit things in. Combine it with resources and hit the learning outcomes. Yeah, where you're actually going to provide some political education. That's it. Like we we do our like we spent like I think we spent slightly too long on it, but we literally spent about three months as the whole committee being like, what are the issues? What are the questions that we need to ask about issues? And what sessions will best get the answers that we think of these things should? And like and that was done as a mass thing. And like, and it was only once we had agreed these like fucking principles, which then all immediately had to change because people drop out and whatever. We're but really like, jealous because John, <laughs> John pretty much did the whole program oh, himself. I did one. I just not good for yeah. your brain. I did no, the discrimination. No, no, it hurt. <laughs> it hurt, and that wasn't through lack of trying. It was like you know, I went it, again. The, the arts team were like really keen, and mm. but. When I tried to get, you know, it was a lot of people who were young who were at uni, so I think like... They only wanted to do the arts. When we started talking about the programs, they weren't interested. (laughs) I think it's the difference as well as, you know, you've got a few people who've already graduated, you know, like, you're teachers now working in UCU, so it's not a mental tax of being like, hey, you know, you're doing your dissertation. Do you want to do something that's even, that's basically like your dissertation, but a little bit more work in sort of like (laughs) logic thinking of thinking that. So it was, um, yeah, I think there was... I would have loved to have had more input and actually not had to have done a load of it myself. Yeah. But a lot of people, um, there was a couple of people who ended up cancelling us and they literally just wanted it to be like, blur. They just said, no, you should just do it and it, and be that. And I'll be, it, that would be shit if we did that. Yeah, no, it I would, think it is. And exactly. you can't charge people tickets to go and see that as well. Well, it's exactly. good you've conscience. Got to, you've got to approach it like with the confidence that allows you to say like, no, like we've worked out what the programme for this festival is. This mm. is what we are aiming to achieve. This is our festival. Mm. Like, because that's the thing. Like, you put, you're put, you putting on, a, like, a political festival. You're inviting people to turn up and listen to some talks and get an opportunity to make contributions there. That's where they get to make contributions. Yeah. But when it comes to the organising of the festival and how the panels run, that's within the purview of the festival alone. Like, yeah, and, and yeah. like, the, the ebb and flow of the day, what are the things that people are going to yeah. take? away from the day like even just this basic of what is on first and what is on yeah. last and what is the thing that people leave thinking about and like it, it's and that's all... the thing you do you could get to the end of it all and go you know what like I can easily pinpoint several things here that weren't ideal but then you've got the ability to learn from that and change it next time but I think it's still absolutely fair that like if you were organising the event ours is that we will never get anyone anywhere before midday like try, yeah, <laughs> trying to get people we did sessions and we're like we, we moved it later every year and even then you're still like and like, we've moved it later we've had less sessions and we're like still wish there was more people here at fucking yeah. uh, half past ten in the morning on a Saturday um, yeah. <laughs> I think like yeah that that's like a real hard one because then you got you want to get like at least a couple of panels in a day and, mm. then, and then it's finishing so late I mean I think the benefit although we, they did all start late they did start before midday because the benefit of camping is that people do wake up a little bit earlier because of the natural light. Yeah, absolutely. And people are And because there. of our fucking Bristol Transform Committee who are fucking talking from fucking 8am. Yeah. Over my and, fucking and, and just me. <laughs> also, if they aren't there 
and they're in a camping field. You know where they are, so you can just yeah. go and bang on everyone's tents. Just go, paddle started in a minute. You can't like drive around. Yeah, no, you, you have a there. much more captured audience. You're not relying on people to like get wake up flats, in their own bed and then feel bored yeah. enough to travel across the city. That yeah. was one of my jobs is like just round up people. Like, <laughs> Judd would come to me like running saying, we, we need people on this workshop or this panel. So my job was basically finding everyone within sight in the whole campsite and tell them to go which tent yeah. to go to. And they had no clue what they were actually attending, but they were just like, okay, we're going here now. Um, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I get that. And that, but that was fun because that he did. It, it, the, the camping thing did make it this much more like communal. Like I, I had one friend who I think maybe had been enjoying merriment, but it was like I can't go to the pub. And he's like, he's like, I can't, I can't leave. He's like, I have to stay here now until it's over. I can't leave. I was like, okay, so we're gonna go pub and get some burgers. But you, you enjoy because oh, yeah, exactly. he, he was like, he was very tuned into like the communal experience. <laughs> Thing I know that is. That's <laughs> <laughs> suspicions, but we'll save them for later. All right. Yeah. I want to. I, I demand to talk about beep. beep. I love that oh, we're just it? beeping us. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, no, we, we, yeah. Like, you know, so, there are a lot of challenges of putting on a festival, and you certainly have one massive. <laughs> it's it's all very like sort of suspicion and by proxy. What we know is basically. Um, it's his best friend who was our neighbour who we were going around um, babysitting each other's kids and every week I'd be venting mm-hmm. about what was going wrong with the festival and there was just a lot of lot of coincidences that went on. There was um, We were struggling to find food vendors and um, the woman who lived across the road from us is um, has a holiday let and but she's also a caterer and all of our food vendors kept on getting booked up um, We'd book them in, cancelled. Yeah, they cancelled repeatedly. Same with our kids' activities, and we found out they were friends with. So we had sort of this organisation, I won't name, but they were going to provide a whole load of speakers, and it was another inclusivity organisation, and all of the kids' activity. They were going to put a whole kids' tent. Best friends with this person, it turns out, and suddenly, last minute, it's all this, oh, we're doing this, we're doing this, and it was gone. Um, And... The weirdest one was they put on our neighbour with the holiday let, they put a load of acorn-esque aggressive flyers a couple of times in a row on her house, making it look like I'd been doing it. It was directly in front of our front door. Um, and we didn't see it anywhere else. Because it had your name on it, right, John? It was. It said... No, no, it said um, a family could live here. Yeah, they were aggressive um, husband. A family could live in this house. But it was our neighbour, who's uh, it's her son's house that he rents out as a holiday. But they, they know we're active in Acorn, and, but we've always had a good relationship with them. And it was all red text, looking as uh, much like Acorn but as it was, possible. It was always directly... Well, that's a mistake. Acorn's white text on a red background. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was always directly in front of our doorstep and literally nowhere else. I mean, there's... Uh, <laughs> there's, there's like, the whole street's holiday left. There's hundreds of Airbnbs and Falmouth and Penred. There's, and, a, there's about 10 on our street. There yeah, is. and literally it was only this one, which seemed a little convenient. <laughs> and she's a caterer, and oh. we were like asking her if, like, because we were struggling to find caterers. And she agreed, and then she backed out, and she got her co worker to do it, who agreed, and then said she had to think about it for a minute, and then she backed out. Um, and that was repeatedly that yeah it, it was we lost about four caterers with yeah and there was this whole um so basically um so our, our friend who's best friends with and Damo was in oh no because we're beeping no not out. Cornish Damo no okay. as in uh, 
He runs this company called, um, I'll beep over this as well. Okay. But he's basically does all of, most of like, which is actually. So I've gone on sat in his studio and things that you think are like actually made by, which they're actually made by him. And, you know, he's, um, what's interesting is um, he's, they basically funded the, um, at the last general election 2019, the Liberal Party suddenly had six MPs running and money for deposits. And there was this weird, keep doing Star Wars references, but like, you know, Revenge of the Sith moment where, you know, like basically, you know, the, the Emperor lays out his plans to Anakin and after like feeling really beaten down after like weeks of hell, I went round to tell him about what was going on with the festival and thinking like you were trying to convince me to cancel it. Nearly did convince me to cancel it, and that's when he said, you "I know, ruined his plans." Yeah. Uh, John came home and he was like, "I think we're gonna end the festival. I don't think I can do this anymore." And I was like. Well, uh, this is all over because the the deposit on the site was um, mistakenly bumped up. We agreed on five hundred. It was a, just a miscommunication. It was a miscommunication and the lack of contracts being signed in Cornwall. <laughs> um, so we got an email saying, "Oh, you're gonna pay nine hundred, right?" And we we're like, like we "No, no, we no we're not." <laughs> so we finally said, "Okay, we agreed on six hundred, um, which is a steal." But um, before we, like, actually negotiated the price back down. Um, so before this was all worked out, John t- confided in his who he thought was his friend. And this person convinced him that this was ridiculous. We should end the festival over 300 pounds. And um, he came home very, very close to quitting. And I convinced him that that was stupid and like we can find that money if nothing else um so you called up your friend and told him that you weren't gonna quit no he phoned me um, and then he like screamed at me down the phone saying the next couple of months your your life is gonna be hell (laughs) basically making threats at the same time he'd got me like selling his dad's like vinyl records but was like delaying on this um and doing like just loads of like really weird passive aggressive stuff. He was trying to take up our time as much as possible because he knew we were struggling financially. So he's just saying like, "Oh, you can make a ton of money on this," which you couldn't. Um, this is a classic Cornish liberal tactic as well. Zoe Fox tied me is try and waste your time. I had this with Acorn as well, where people would make you know come up with like fake membership like defense requests and stuff, and just be like basically putting me on the phone like all of the time and then wasting my time and you'd look at them and there'd be people either from the Lib Dems or the Liberal Party there's a Liberal Democrat town councillor in Penzance who did it to me a couple of times I had that a lot trying to find panellists where like yeah. I'd, I'd get a list of people I'd try to contact them it'd take like two weeks to arrange a phone call um, I'd finally get on the phone call with them um, and they'd ask about the festival um, and then they were explained to me that they were going to be out of town um, on the days of the festival which I explained to them when it was before I arranged the meeting um, and this was like months of my time trying to find a panelist like I just wanted a woman on the climate panel and I was like my time was wasted by at least 10 different women oh the drama um, so so yeah I mean like there's all of this like weird little village politics it's all based around the pub that we lived across the road there's all of this like so it's a lot of it was like Village gossip. So yeah. all you had to do was, because you're trying to sell tickets, all you have to do is put a negative word in the right person's yeah. ear. You trace the gossip back, and it came to this person, and it's and it routinely kept coming back. Um, on the page when we were posting about ticket sales, there was all of these fake accounts who'd liked this person's um, events that they put on um, <laughs> that were saying, I don't want my tickets anymore. Um, I can't be bothered to go. I've got some for sale. And it was like every time 
this was going on. So, it, it was always like I had four tickets for sale. I'm not and that's how we hadn't sold any bunches of four. So I was like, <laughs> very um, but so there, was, there was, like, was like ten people who said that they had four tickets, four tickets for sale. It was always the exact same message. <laughs> yeah. So there was like we were getting the bots attacking us. We were getting the flyers. Um, and then I go around his house um, one night, and he, I'm like asking him about politics, and he then lays out his plan. And we find out this guy's actually a millionaire as well. And he says, like, oh, he's talking about the history of David Penhaligon, who was the most popular Liberal MP ever to run. And he's talking about the Liberal Party. That's a good vehicle, because the Lib Dems are too soiled. His dad was a Lib... This guy's dad was a Lib Dem trade union organiser. So Lib Dem trade union organiser is a thing. <laughs> and then he lays it out saying, right, if there was a candidate to run as MP for this seat in the next election, you know, I'd go and live in the council estate, you know, and look like I've been living there the whole time, which is the house he lives in. And this guy is like, <laughs> he's, uh, has a lot of money because if you look, the company that he owns is listed and it's basically all related to, you know, <laughs> all related to that. They're, they are like peas in the pod. I've gone around that house and he's been there having a barbecue regularly, you know, um, and it's like, a, they've got like a weird little cult of very impressionable people. It's all, basically, they don't want anyone talking about anything they do because it's all sort of acid fascism. And that everyone they get into their like magic circle is so you've got to be secret about everything. And mainly it's because if people knew about how horribly right-wing he was, it would trump his record sales, they'd turn down. I've seen him at events before and he's been going on about like sort of very pro Alex Jones. He's been telling people how to... <laughs> He's got his, his kids, uh, like he's a COVID denier, he's anti-vaxxer, but yet his kids have caught it twice. And he's like a proper, like, there's this whole thing of just this massive house that he owns. And, he, and it's, it's this weird sort of thing because you say this stuff and it, like, I don't think it's particularly surprising, but at the same time, you're absolutely right that he's very much sort of cultivated, not necessarily an image, but like, like a sort of a reputation within a scene of people that... Tend to lean liberal or left, right? Yes, like, tend to be liberal or left. But I suppose it's also kind of indicative of that sort of scene where, like, you've got a lot of people who are generally sort of, like, lefty liberal types, but within that, there's a reasonable amount of, like, libertarian kooks. Yeah, all, yeah. all, the, all the people I know who were, like, big COVID deniers were people I knew from being at raves. Yeah. Because it turns out there is an association with, like... <laughs> taking too much ketamine and um and being have for some reason your brain's being scrambled. Too much yeah. I found no, the, given the code away. I found the <laughs> yeah, I found their YouTube playlist um and what was interesting was um they were the guy was like really interested in Serkov, you know, like um Putin's like sort of spin doctor, the <laughs> conceptual artist. And the other thing that they were really interested in was um Brian Rose. And it was like I watched this buddy Brian Rose video and it was everything over the last year this person had been saying to me you know that London real guy so he's, he's like he's a hardcore capitalist and he was oh like, with Brian Rose the guy who ran for London Mayor yeah. who drank his own piss yeah he's really yes. intense man. Yeah. him Alex Jones like they go at um, Holyfield at the Holyfield summer party like was there like overheard from a few people telling people how you could convince people to believe in chemtrails as well <laughs> so it's you know there's like a whole load of that a friend of mine um you know on new year do it was like he'd never been interested in this guy before as well broke up with his girlfriend suddenly he's like oh here's a really vulnerable broken person and he's like oh i'm just gonna buy you this really expensive synth for your birthday he took him out new year's got him wasted on nearly every drug imaginable. I come round his house, turn midnight, he's having a panic attack, and he's saying just all of this crazy shit, because he spent all night with 
Yeah. And he was saying all about this sort of like hardcore sort of acid fast capitalism sort of oh. stuff. And I was like, Jesus, what has this guy done to Amazing. you? He's like shaking in the corner. And I was just like, that that's the kind of very sort of predatory model. This is what Kerno Transformers up against. We yeah. we just have to deal with regular useless hippies. You, yeah, no, yeah, we, yeah, had, yeah. we had a motivated, <laughs> well-resourced. <laughs> Millionaires have too much time on their hands, determined to just make our lives hell. And this was um, the thing. And then when he said he was going to run for MP, said that they funded the, the six liberal party candidates. And then they told me about other can elections they'd thrown. So during the 2017 one, and I found this through like a couple of my friends who unwittingly, they both roped like my friends in to go in door knocking for different parties. One went for the Lib Dems and one went for the Greens in different neighborhoods around Truro and Falmouth to eat into Jane Kirkham's vote. Oh, and it worked. Fuck, yeah, because you, you just like fund someone who's got a, a, a plausible left-wing like yeah. platform to block the Labour... Yeah. Same as the Greens did in and Stroud. They, they like, I don't know how much of it is true, but they, they regularly brag in the pub that they were the reason you got the local Green councillor elected oh. as well, when that was running against Jen Forbes. Oh, so the, the, the drama. Of that's what we were running into. Um, and they really did. I think they just didn't like the idea of like the left being organised in any way in Cornwall because that scuppers their plans. And I think they are very keen on denying basically um, Labour as a foothold in Cornwall. Having that's those their communication mission. networks. Because right? that was one of the things that I think you guys seem to do really well is that you had like this kind of Cornish nationalist left and the kind of more, like I'll call them orthodox, maybe like maybe in Kenya people would reject that term or whatever like the uh, the orthodox left and the Cornish nationalist left and and like actually it seemed that they, they didn't talk to each other very often in general and that like having this place where they were forced to come together which I was really kind of it's a fun anecdote but I think it does also offer an interesting sort of look into how people with a greater ability to exert power within local or or indeed larger constituency of democracy are able to cause problems for people who are trying to organise for like a more positive or progressive change. Like it's sort of I I, I guess a a constant reminder of the battles that we're up against and the challenges that we might face along the way, and the fact that like remind us that we will face these challenges, but we can weather them. You had someone who was doing their darndest to try and make sure the Colonel Transform didn't happen. But they lost. You guys won. You were able to put on a festival, which was a bloody good time for people who went along. You were able to bring together um, sort of different aspects of the Cornish left, which I like. As an outsider to the area, it was very interesting to see and sort of get ahead for. Like, okay, what does left leftist activity look like? in an area like this. And so I guess that brings us towards thinking about why we are challenging Banksy to provide <laughs> li liberal celebrities from local areas will not be allowed to stand anymore. Banksy, you've had it too good for too long. <laughs> Bristol Transform throws down the gauntlet. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, looking at the future, like, what does the future hold? You sort of like touched on the fact that since the festival, which wasn't even that long ago, you've been able to see certain like movements and um, shifts. Do you feel that is Kerno Transformed got roots to be carrying on further? Like, what's going to be next 
in your guys' sort of pathway. I know that like you're relocating, so you're not going to be. Yeah, I mean in Kerno. People are very excited about Karnal Transport, and as in the, uh, the immediacy after the festival, we had a meeting to de- kind of debrief about what happened, and there were quite a few people who weren't actively involved in the organizing until really the end, um, or who were panelists who were very excited about like continuing it, um, and John and I were just went through nine months of complete hell trying to do this all ourselves and we're like yes this sounds great you should totally do this again but do not rely on us to do exactly Mm. what we did before because we would go crazy (laughs) what we did with Kona Transformed was not sustainable in any sort of way Mm. Um, there was a lot of people who said yeah what we want you to do is we want you to do it again and you wanted to do it even bigger exactly and there needs to be a uh, cushioned area for sit down and relax um, and a little cafe and some lunch and you know like all this and (laughs) it's good (laughs) (laughs) no it would have been great you know I mean mean, I've got to like mend fences with like all of the local trade union parties as like socialist party on the trades council because they feel <laughs> hard done by you know that we didn't have two hours of like one guy talking about Trotsky um, <laughs> right. there know. was a lot of people who were upset there wasn't enough Cornish language speaking um, even though we tried we asked them to provide we, the Cornish language we tried workshops. really hard to get them there <laughs> I was looking at some of the feedback we had like a load of some of like most of it was good but there was a few people saying this was not Cornish enough and then you had like the socialist part of people going this wasn't socialist enough so it was like you know I mean I hate that centrist thing like oh both sides criticising me I must have done something well you know if you hadn't vetoed a young Cornish man from a socialist background myself yeah. at the last minute then maybe you wouldn't have had those complaints John you know yeah. if you'd let me spit pure fire yeah <laughs> I think there is scope for another one um, next year, but what I've been saying is, because we're not going to be there, we said we'd help, but we're not going to run it, and yeah. I've been chatting to like Dan and a few people about it, and I said, do it in a town, don't, you know, build your capacity up, you know, it's not like they couldn't do a camp and one again, mm. but do it when we've got a bigger team, and to get a bigger team, you need to do it in a town first, do something like smaller, like the other like little transform festivals, get that, and let them actually plan it as a group and develop as a group. Mm. and then go right now you can see what you're doing and you've got the capacity then it could upscale again but until it's done that that it's i don't think it's it's ready for another um, camping festival the only way that it could be done again in the same way with as few people as they have on to fully support it is if you had a couple people that were completely completely unemployed yeah um, (laughs) and have very little attachments um our exception was the toddler but yeah we she was mobile um (laughs) the the other thing is was interesting was we had to import a lot of volunteers because there was a lot of because of the like demo graphic of the area there wasn't a lot of sort of typical socialists and comrades so mm. everyone was approaching it like a very much capitalist endeavor so when they said what you're not paying all of the stewards and they're like no that's part of like what we need to do is you know we need people to put high vis on and stuff and they were like yeah. no you, you should be paying people to. and it was that it was like some of the things that were like very small parts of the festival that you think would be pay when we've got like we had like you know Ezra and Hugo and like Rupert come down and they basically grafted for four days. They, you know, drove hard down, labor. did hard labour, put the socialist sign up, and then were like 
on hand, you know, running everything. They were also drunk the whole time. Yeah, but, you know, you had, like, you know, Amar, who was, you know, doing a panel and working behind the bar, and, you know, you had even had, like, Ollie DeRose, who was on a panel, who was, like, he was moving on three chairs. Panels. He was on three panels, and he was also helping with Clear Up, you know. We had, like, sort of our main panellists were, like, really, like, mucking in, and yeah. I was like, you've got to make it clear that it's that kind of thing when you're doing it on such a street street. It thing. is that kind of, like, that, that sort of thing. You've just been like, no, like, we're not making any money. Like, no one's making money. Like, yeah. you're not being hard done by or being ripped off here. Yeah. We're, we're yeah. like... We're all making this together. Yeah. It's not, it's not a service. It's, yeah, it's that, a that is one of my great challenges, I think, is sort of trying to communicate that, like, you no, know, this is a sort of a different model of doing things. Mm. A slightly different example, but I think it shares similar qualities, is... Um, there's a, a Facebook group, Bristol Mutual Aid, that was sort of set up around the start of the pandemic and sort of, you know, to enact mutual aid, to sort of, like, raise that concept and practice that, like, we can all be sort of helping each other out. I got a goth to lend me a Ouija board through it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Socialism in action right there. <laughs> yeah. But you notice as you uh, look at the way in which people post on there, there is both an issue of people feeling so apprehensive about asking anyone for anything like even if they like desperately need it they don't want to put up on anyone else and then likewise you do also get some people who can be a bit judgmental about whether they think other people are deserving enough and it's mm. like no these are the sort of the, the kind of chains we're trying to break here <laughs> like we, we're trying to build a society where everyone gets stuck in and helps each yeah. other out and that means that yes you do come along to the festival and spend like a couple of hours of your time like serving food or like stewarding or something and you don't get paid for it because you get a festival for it yeah <laughs> like, um no i think that's uh, that's a really good um yeah no no that, that, that's exactly i can put it better myself um in terms of like elsewhere though we i mean we're going to be um you know we're moving to somerset so I think going back to what you said earlier about the difference of like how you know easy it was for people to sabotage it, you know, in those kind mm. of areas. I think it's interesting doing because you know you guys got the home field advantage, mm. and this is like one of the things where I've been like talking about politics in Corbyn, and you know, like the um, current Labour candidate is not my kind of politics, but I've been very much encouraging people saying it would be a good thing for her to get in because there's a very big psychological difference of like yeah. having lived in Brighton which is a green area or a labour area and when you grow up and you live in a Tory area it mm. changes the tone of the place so even though they're not my politics. Yeah. I advise everyone to vote for, you know, the Labour candidate in Drury and Falmouth. You have someone you can reasonably push left, right? Yeah. Like, in, th in theory, even but if even you if, often fail. Even if you can't. Yeah. But what it does to everyone in the area of how they identify themselves, they go, we live in a Labour area. Yeah. That What that does to the psyche of the area. And, you know, there's a reason why like, even parties like, you know, the most flourishing socialist party, you know, are in places where there's a le sitting Labour MP. Yeah. It's not where there's a Tory MP. So even if you are like, you know, someone diehard in the Socialist Party, it's in your interest for the Labour Party to get elected. Because if you really do want this revolution, you're going to have to like, get the Labour Party in first so you can turn the place left and then you can go, look, the Labour Party aren't doing anything. And you know, then get... That was a very specific impression. But, yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, At least it didn't sound like Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you know who, who it is. So, but you know, <laughs> this exactly is... Who that is. Yeah, um, <laughs> but you know that that's that's the thing that needs to happen, and I think um, 
I'm yeah, there is a project going ahead. I think it's like it's a slower burner, so we're like now that we're in sort of, you know, Somerset and like got family in Devon and we're gonna be Wessex close Transformed. By. Wessex <laughs> Transformed. <laughs> let's start let's start the Heptarchs, you know, like one bit at a time, you know. Um but I know I think there's a big thing about sort of you know, southwest region not being paid attention. So I mean mm. it could start as an online project and then Let's build this solidarity network of like you know where you're the only socialist in the village. Let's That's li- it, right? Let's link I, them I think up. I think it's so easy for Bristol to like and Bristol socialists to look to London, when I think there is an onus on us of, of people who are playing on easy mode because we're doing socialism in Bristol and we just yeah. put up a sign saying socialism is here and a hundred people turn up. Whereas like I think there is an onus on those people who have that kind of as you said home advantage to be looking to like and to not- work with people in the southeast and like southwest. And in- Fuck's sake. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, mate, I'm, I'm from fucking uh, Wales. It's southeastern. Um, but, like, you know, I think there is an onus on us to, like, engage with the rest of the Southwest and try and, like, and, and p- play our part rather than just, like, being yeah. fucking second fiddles for the London left who, like, frankly, have, have wasted the fucking home advantages they have as far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, like, there's... Um, there's pe- I've been, like, doing... I've, a lot of community rapid already and I found someone in Exeter we got someone in Plymouth I found someone in I know someone in Torbay and I know someone in Newton Abbott and you know we're going to be living in Somerset and what I think I want to do is like you know find these people and let's see what we could like get them all working on together if it's a zoom thing or maybe a small event hmm. and let's just look at building capacity from there but let's like really build those mutual solidarity networks because when you are the only leftist in the town it is shit hmm. And you need you need someone with you, and if, even if that's a person the next town over. It's about building social support networks with people who want believe in the same thing as you and want to achieve similar ideas, um, making their projects work while helping you with your own projects, um, which we hope Kerno Transform will eventually do. Um, and if we could do something similar with Wessex Transform, and then we can start a five aside league. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. We do keep saying we want to do a Bristol Transform five-a-side um, tournament one day. Yeah. So, like last night, um, Bristol Acorn Branch had a cricket match against the local XR group, That's and they beat an the ex- fucking hippies. Yeah. <laughs> That's such an ex- like you want to get XR doing football though, innit? You have to be cricket. <laughs> like, you know, it's what we stand around for after the afternoon drinking yeah. cider. We, we wanted to do a we wanted to do an MMA tournament once, but we, we couldn't think of enough like left wing groups who had hard people. To <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, watch this space. Yeah. The leftist fighting competition coming soon. All right. <laughs> yeah. I think I think we're starting to starting to lose our minds because we've been talking too long. <laughs> I certainly am. But John, Didi, thank you so much for coming. It's been an absolute pleasure. We're going to Pizza Express now, not like that. Um, <laughs> but what if you, what does that mean? It's a, it's a it's a Prince Andrew. But yeah, thank you very much for coming. Thank you so much for putting on Kenner Transform. We had a fucking wonderful time. We had a great time in Bristol Transform, actually. Oh, that was really lovely for us. It was a nice little holiday. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah, and man. we look forward to whatever you guys do next. We'll, we'll be there. We'll be supporting. Yeah. We're fucking yeah, high absolutely. If you want to support Bristol Transformed, you can like subscribe on our Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash Bristol Transformed. That's the first time I've ever said that correctly on this podcast. Um... <laughs> You can find us on Facebook. We've got the Bristol Transform Brain Trust, which is our Facebook group of socialist discussion. You can follow us on Twitter. We have an Instagram we don't use. 
But yeah, thank you so much for listening. Um, Could I add something? If you want a more like a, a little bit of a quirky one, we've also got the Kernery transformed brain trust. Yeah, the weird cousin. The movement grows. Yeah. Is there anything else that you guys want to plug? Oh, we'll just leave it that. All right. Unless you want to give us some money so we can pay off the final band bill. All right. Thank you very much, guys. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll have you back on for whatever you're going to do next while we we paint the southwest red. Absolutely. Southwest got it right this time. Don't concern. Yeah. I don't know where I live. All right. <laughs> sweet. All the best. Bye. Bye.